And if you're staying behind, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Um, I'd just like to say, if you, if you weren't here for the first two lessons of Ecclesiastes, um, please try to, to make the time if you're planning on going through the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's, it was a lot of important introductory things mentioned in those first two lessons, which I think put the whole book of, puts the whole book of Ecclesiastes into perspective. And perspective and context is incredibly important in this book. If you approach it with the wrong perspective, if you see it in the wrong light, um, it definitely... Um, it makes a big difference to how you read it. So please have a look at that if you haven't looked at that yet. All right, so last week we looked at the topic of hedonism. Hedonism being the theory or this idea that we find fulfillment or the chief goal of life is to have pleasure. Right? Now, we looked at pleasure in terms of pleasure in materialism. We looked at pleasure in terms of intellectualism. All these different things in which we can aspire to be pleased in. Um, and we saw, we saw how Solomon was essentially finding himself with all these roads in front of him and these roads that he can travel down. But at the end of each of those roads, these roads of pleasure, whether it was intellectual, immaterial, material, whatever it was, he found that it left him empty. He found that there was no real fulfillment at the end of each of those avenues of life which he walked down. Every road was this dead end. And so we saw in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 that this theory of hedonism was tested and ultimately it was found not to be the purpose of life. But we also said that just because pleasure does not lead to fulfillment. It doesn't mean that God is a killjoy. It doesn't mean that God does not want you to have pleasure or to enjoy this life that he has given you. In fact, we should, but we should do it in the right light. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24, it speaks about that there is nothing better for a man that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy the good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. In verse 26, we see that for God giveth to man. That is good. So the important thing that we need to see is, is that the things that we do have in this life is given from God. So in other words, our perspective is not the stuff. It is the one who has provided for me in all areas of life. So we put our focus on the right thing. So is pleasure bad? If it is your pursuit, yes. But if it is you pursuing what is noble, what is pure, what is God, then the pleasure is for, given from God for you to enjoy. Like with Solomon, the problem was a heart issue. He gave himself over, he gave his heart to these things because he was convinced that he'll find pleasure and fulfillment in it. Now in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, um, once again, we're not going to unpack every verse. I want to get through what, everything that is mentioned in the chapter. And I think what's going to be very important in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is to approach the chapter seeing that there are two lenses, right? There's the lens at which we view life where eternity, life beyond the sun, is not there. And then there's the lens in which eternity, God, 
is part of the equation. So you have these two lenses, these two perspectives, two ways in which you can look at various things in Scripture, in this passage, in life. You can look at, you can look at it in, um, you'll see in verses 1 through down to 15, it'll speak about the seasons and the times of life. So the question is, do you view the seasons and the times of your life with eternity in mind, or is it purely temporal? Is it te purely finite? You'll see in verses 16 down to uh, 17, it speaks about judgment. Now, how do you view judgment? Is judgment only confined to this life, or is there judgment in eternity? You see, you need to have both perspectives. Then it goes on to verse 18 down to verse 21, and it speaks about what is man? Is, is there any difference between man and an animal? You, you, if, you, if you exclude God and you exclude eternity, well, that's going to that's gonna make a difference to how you view that. So we have to ha see that there are two lenses to which we can view all these things. And what Solomon is doing, he is giving you the lens of the temporal, the finite. And so we'll go through that and I'll try to give you both sides as we go through it. So essentially, I want to say that Ecclesiastes 3 says there, the, the necessity of eternity is, is there in order for us to make sense of life. Eternity is necessary in order for us to make sense of life. Let's read verses 1 to 11. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silent. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. What profit hath he which worketh, that worketh in that um, wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. According, also, he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Verse 1 and verse 11 both, have a look at it in the beginning, it says, To every thing there is a season, and to every purpose. In verse 11 it says, He hath made every thing beautiful in its time. There is an appointed time and a place for every season in our lives. There is an appointed time and place for every season in our lives. Every person's life is essentially covered in verses 2 to 8, where it says a time for this and a time for that, a time for this and a time for that. To varying degrees, we can all say amen to that passage. We have all experienced these two poles of our existence. It doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter what background you have, it doesn't matter what you earn. Seasons of life 
will come and go. They do not discriminate. It's like the clock just keeps ticking. And before you know it, you're there again. Right? You were here, and then you're there again. Oh, it's Monday again tomorrow, by the way. You know, like, it, it just goes, and it just goes, right? When every time it's Christmas season, I say, I feel like, when it was Christmas just now, you know? It, it, the seasons, the times, the clock just keeps ticking. I'm reminded of this every time I look at my children, and I think of Abby, and she was my baby, and now she's not. And then I think of Ayla, she was my baby, and now she's not. And now, now there's Kinsley, and now she's a baby, but soon she won't be. And, and that season yeah. is just there. It has a purpose, but it's there, and then it's, and then it's gone. Yeah. And that, that's what he says in verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. Now, what's very interesting in, in verses 2 down to, to, um, to 8, it lists 28 different things, 28 different seasons of life. And 14 of them are, can we say, positive, and 14 of them are negative. You have death and birth. You have planting and blocking up. You have killing and healing. You have breaking and building. You have weeping and laughing. You have mourning and dancing. You have all these, these different things. And one that I can't wait to use one day is verse 5, which says, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. I'm going to use that verse to the boy who shows interest in my girl, my daughter. <laughs> you know, I don't know who he is, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell him, now is the time to refrain from embracing, you know, that's the season to refrain. But anyways, all, all I'm saying is, is there is a time for all these different seasons of life, positive and negative. It's almost as if to say that at the end of the day, if you tally it up, it, it, it's, it's a zero-sum game. 14 positives, 14 negatives. Life goes full circle. In a sense, you, you, you finish where you started. You came in with nothing, and it is sure you will leave with nothing. In verse 20, it says, all are of dust, and all turn to dust again. Right? Job said in Job chapter 1 that naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. It go, life goes full. There was a season to be silent. <laughs> All right. Um, I feel like those songs stole my punchline, but anyways. Um, let, let, let's, where were we? Um, we come in with nothing. We go out with nothing. Under the sun, there is these 14 positive, these 14 negatives. And at the end, the two poles of our lives essentially cancel out and we're back to where we started. Now, this is why it's important to have these two lenses, to have these two different perspectives. Because if, the re if it is the reality that these seasons just help us to end up exactly where we started, then the question is then what was the point of it all? 
Why am I toiling? Why, what's the point of all this labor? Look at verse 9. What profit hath he which wor- that worketh um, in that which wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail. I've seen this burden, right? Like, what is the point if all of it is just taking you full circle? The honest unbeliever needs to admit that that sounds pretty meaningless and pretty unfulfilling. With this lens of life, all you have and all you're ever going to do, or all you're ever going to do, is to try and manipulate the seasons of your life so that somehow you don't end up on a zero-sum game, but with a positive end. You're going to embark on this journey of seasons manipulation. If, because at the end of the day, if it's all 14 positive, 14 negatives, then all you're going to try and do is your whole life, you're going to labor, you're going to put in this effort, you're going to travail, you're going to have this burden of trying to manipulate the seasons just so that there is something positive at the end of the day. Now, that, practically, <laughs> is like someone shaking a tree in summer, declaring it to be autumn, just so that they can rake the leaves, right? It's like, it's like someone cursing a tree for not having any leaves in, in winter. It's, it, it, it's not accepting the reality of the fact that life is full of seasons and it's not just always going to be positive. There's going to be these negative times and there's going to be these positive times. But if this life is all you have and you want a positive balance at the end of the day under the sun, you're going to manipulate seasons and you're going to do crazy things like someone shaking a tree in summer so they can rake leaves. It doesn't make sense. It's crazy. It's futile. It's, after all this effort, the clock still went full circle. And you ask yourself, verse 9, what is the profit? What, what's the reason for this burden, this, this travail? And that's where many end up pointing the finger at God and saying, well, this, this just doesn't make sense. Nothing really matters. And I think that's to which God answers and says, that's the point. There is no point if there is no God and there is no eternity. You see, it says that I have seen, verse 10, I have seen the travail which God hath given the sons of men to be exercised in it. God is showing you by you just living out your life that it's going to go full circle. And it has no meaning if there is no God. Keep your place. Have a look at Romans. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. This is elaborating on the point that God has given us something. God has made himself known to us and it's this through this travail that we start seeing but there has to be something more and in Romans chapter 1 the same thought is communicated verse 19 it says because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it unto them do you see how that it's it's the same idea that we're getting from Ecclesiastes God has given this travail He has given it to men that they may be exercised in it. It's in them. God has shown it to them. Verse 20. For the invisible things of him, 
and this is one of the invisible things, it's this feeling that you have inside of you that there has to be more, the invisible things of Him from creation of the world are clearly seeing, being understood by the things that are made. That's us. Even His eternal, there's that word eternity, we have to have that eternal, even His eternal power and God it so that we are without excuse because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful. But became vain, that's Solomon, in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, the wisdom of this world, they became fools. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God, or the uncorruptible God, to an image um, made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and to creeping things. Do you see how if you exclude God, these, these other things... You are going to worship something. You are going to believe in something. It's just not going to be God. And how you start th thinking you'll find, pa you'll find these, this purpose in the, all these other things in life. Verse 24, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts. Everything around us and within us shouts that there is something more. There has to be something more. We yearn for purpose because deep down inside we know there is a purposeful God behind it. Now, whether you admit it or not is, regard, is irrespective of the point. You know instinctively inside you that there is more than just bone and flesh to your existence. You, you know that there is. And because you know that deep down there is purpose, you have to ask, where does the purpose come from? And so we know that it comes from God and we have purpose as a result of who God is. But for someone who doesn't have that, for someone who's confined themselves to this temporal world, there is no purpose behind it all. Now, God has revealed himself, as we saw in Romans chapter 1. He's doing it in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. But those who, when they knew God, glorified Him not as God. To them, He gives this purposeless, this travail, this burden in this life. Because by giving them that, look at verse 14. For I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. And nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that the men that men should fear before Him. So God has put these things in place. He's made the things the way they are so that if you exclude Him, it doesn't make sense. So He wants you to be before Him in reverence and glorifying Him and fear Him for who He is. And that's why these things are the way they are. But if you exclude Him, the equation just doesn't make sense. Augustine said it this way. He said, Speaking to God, he said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Amen. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you because God made us for himself. So if you're not connected, <laughs> if you're not acknowledging him, what is the purpose? So has your soul found rest? Or are you still trying to manipulate the seasons? The seasons which you cannot control in a futile attempt to create lasting purpose. Or do you have an eternal viewpoint on what your existence is? For the Christian, eternity provides purpose. And it provides purpose to our seasons. 
because the seasons aren't just arbitrary, right? From, from the naturalistic worldview, things are just evolving, but it had no real point in its origin. It has no real point in its end. Neither does your life. So if we say that the seasons, you, you have to say that the seasons are just arbitrary. There is no mind, there is no guidance, there is no purpose behind the seasons of your life. But if there is a God, and to everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under heaven, verse 11, and everything is beautiful in its time, God is doing this, right? And if we see God's hand in it, it's not just arbitrary. They are purposeful. They are made. They are beautiful, verse 11, because God's in it, right? That's why there is purpose and beauty in it. So to wish a season away, in a way, is to rob yourself of purpose and beauty. If we find purpose by seeing God in our seasons, but we're wishing a season away, we are robbing ourselves of purpose and beauty. Because, verse 11 says, He hath made everything beautiful in its time. Now that, you, you can only have that perspective if there is something more than this life. You cannot have that perspective if your life is confined to your existence under the sun. I want to take a moment just to dig a little bit into verse 11. This phrase, the world in their heart. Look at verse 11. It says, He hath made everything beautiful in His time. Also, He hath set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that, we, that God maketh from the beginning to the end. This something that God has set. Do you see that? He has set it in our heart. He has put it in our hearts. And because there is something that He has put there, we need to find out what it means because it is the key to understanding where we find purpose. Right? We, we need to understand why has God put something in our heart. Remember when God created the world, He said it was good. Right? When He created man, He said it was very good. Right? So God looks and He sees this is, this is good. This was purposeful. There was no death, and there was eternal fellowship with the Creator, the one who made you for His purpose. This eternal aspect of life was not separated. It was part of man's existence. Now, this is our default. This is our, call it, original created purpose. And when it says He put the world in their heart, have a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 4, quickly. 1 verse 4, it says, One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh. But the earth abideth forever. Now that word, that, that word forever, there at the end, it's the same word behind this world, word, word world in verse 11. It, you see the same thing in, in verse 14. It says, I know, sorry, chapter 3 verse 14, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. So what's the idea when we use the word world over here? It's to say that the world, everything that God has made, expands across time. There is eternity in it all. So God has put the sense of eternity in our hearts. We know that our life, because when we were created, it was all good, it was very good, there was no death, there was eternal fellowship with God. That's where it is. And God put that sense of eternalness in us. <laughs> Eternal, yeah. Eternalness in us. 
And this eternity in our... Um, so in other words, we were created to keep existing. We were created to be in fellowship with God. But because of sin, death entered into the world. And so death is not part of that good and beautiful design. And this introduction of death through sin makes the equation not work out. Because there is death, because this life is now finite, and death brings this sudden interruption into your existence, it doesn't make sense. And in order for life to have purpose and to make sense, death needs to be destroyed. And that's exactly why Jesus came. To destroy death. Keep your place. Have a look at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read about the resurrection and Paul is giving some arguments for the resurrection and things that come as a result of it. But have a look at verse uh, um, 54. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 54. It says, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption... And this mortal shall have put on immortality, then um, shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So why can our life make sense? Why can our life compute? Because with Jesus, who has overcome death, the equation no longer has the sudden break in it where death enters in and your life just goes to nothing. This eternal, this eternal longing that you have in your heart is satisfied in the fact that Christ has already satisfied and He has already bought eternal life for you. And so now your life, as, as Paul said, I am already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Right? So he understands that his life continues beyond the grave. In fact, you could actually say his life only began when he met Jesus. And so life is found in Christ and eternity is found in Christ. And if you exclude that, what is life? all about. You cannot satisfy that longing of the eternal longing in your heart. You cannot satisfy it without accepting that eternal, um, um, the eternal being, God and Christ who came. So depending on your lens, seasons will either set you on this futile path of seasons manipulation and you'll just end up where you started. Or if your lens is this eternal one, you will find rest in God you will see that there's purpose in the seasons and you will find true life because of your, your joint to Jesus Christ. Now let's move quickly through the last two elements, judgment and man of God um, or the existence of man. Um, in verse 16 and 17, let's read it together. It says, And moreover I saw under the sun the place of judgment that wickedness was there. And the place of righteousness, that iniquity, was there. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time, um, 
For there is a time there for every purpose and for every, um, for every work. So, once again, we look at judgment and we view it from these two perspectives, this eternal one and this temporal one. In verse 16, the first part, it says that, I looked at the place of judgment and I saw wickedness was there. In other words, under the sun, judgment is not always fair and judgment is not always good. Under the sun, perfect justice and righteousness does not exist. Corruption remains unprosecuted. Criminals are not always duly punished. In verse 16, it goes on to say, in the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. Under the sun, churches, temples, shrines, mosques, all these places where we expect to find righteousness, we sometimes find iniquity and lawlessness. Because man is broken. Things are broken. And the wicked get away with it. Under the sun, justice is not always served. And often, innocent people suffer as a result. Have a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8 briefly. Ecclesiastes 8. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 11, it says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Because people think they get away with the sin, they continue to live in sin. So, this person who is supposed to be this, this judge who oversees this, this case, and he makes a corrupt decision, he allows himself to be bought and to, 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 to make a bad decision, there's wickedness in the place of judgment, it, that man thinks he's getting away with it. The man who's walking there thinks he's getting away with it. Because it's not, the judgment is not executed speedily, people continue to live in sin. So under the sun, we shouldn't expect to find perfect judgment, perfect righteousness. It's just not going to be there because we are broken. But with the eternal lens, right? Verse 17, I said in mine heart, God shall judge. As soon as you bring God into judgment, judgment becomes holistic. It's completed. There is, there is final judgment. God will judge. And he is a righteous judge in whom is no wickedness or iniquity. Some things may go unpunished under the sun, but ultimately they will be punished, even if it's beyond the sun. Now, this is good news for anyone, in the sense that God is just, so he's not going to judge unrighteously. So in other words, if he has said, because God does not change, whatever he has done, verse 14, will remain. If he has said that through Jesus Christ, we have eternal life, that we have been forgiven through Jesus Christ, right? If, if um, our pardon has been paid, if we have been atoned for, if that is the case, and we say that we have been made the righteousness in God through Christ Jesus, then that is our righteousness, which was given to us by Christ's death. And God will not change on that. He will not go back on that. So that's good news for us as well. But also, if you have been falsely accused, just like Jesus, right, who was falsely accused and crucified for it, he committed himself to him who judges righteously. 
He did not revile. He did not fight. His, he did not avenge himself in this world because he knows final judgment is there and God will ultimately sort it all out. If you feel like you've been overlooked and not rewarded, commit yourself to the one who sees all things, who will reward openly in due time. You see, you don't have to fight the season, the battle, the judgment here, because God will ultimately settle the case. You do not have to labor and toil for what profit under the sun only to go back to where you started. You have to have God beyond that in order for judgment to make fully sense. Without this eternal perspective, judgment simply remains incomplete. Lastly, I want to look at verses 18 down to 21. And this is just how do we view man? How do we view ourselves from a temporal perspective and from an eternal perspective? Verse 18 says, I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them. As one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they are all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. All go into one place. All are, uh, all are of dust, and all turn to dust again. Who knoweth the spirit of a man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? So he's saying, what really is the difference? If we look at man, if we look at ourselves through this temporal lens, this naturalistic lens, this perspective, it only opens up a pretty dark picture about what you are. Man is a beast. We are just animals. We share the same spirit. We shame the, that, that's to say we share the same breath of life. We succumb to the same diseases, disasters, wars, famines, all these things. A bullet kills you just as it kills an animal. We die. And when we die, we share the same soil and we just turn to dust. For if there's no God and there's no revelation, what makes man special? What makes us different? There's nothing intrinsic that makes us different from an animal if there is no God who did something special with man. But with the eternal lens, the one that includes God, we know that we are different from animals. <laughs> we are made in His image. We are made for His glory. When He made us, He said it was very good. Right? Quickly, Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. Because if we have revelation, right? This is part of revelation. This is God's word. We know that we are worth more than animals. Yes. Psalm chapter 8 verse 3 says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. 
Do you see how clearly we are worth more than just the beasts? And, and, and that shouldn't make us like boast about ourselves or who we are. In fact, he ends up praising God for who God is. That God would, what is man that thou art mindful of him, that you visit us? What did we do to this? We didn't do anything to deserve that. But it still means that we have something special. Not only is our origin, our existence special, but our death also is different to that of the animal. You see, we, we spoke about how death is overcome in Christ, how Christ overcame this death, because other than an animal, we have a soul, right? And our soul needs to be saved. And once our soul is saved, and we are joined to God, we are joined to Christ, we are of that same life. We, 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 we don't die that second death. And so, in other words, death for us is not final. It doesn't stop my life. It just bridges me. It passes me from this life into the real life that really I am created for. This life where there is eternity, where this corruption has put on incorruption, where this mortal has put on immortality, the life that we were originally created for. So whether it's the monotony or the inevitability of the seasons, whether it's the, the skewed judgment or the, sometimes the lack of judgment, whether it's man's purpose and existence, the picture is only complete and purposeful if God, if eternity is part of it. That does not mean we live as if we're not here. We live as, look at verse 22, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 22. What does he end off with? We don't live as if we are living in it. We live here. He says, wherefore, verse 22, I perceive that there is nothing better than a man should rejoice in his own works. For that is his portion. For who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? It's almost as if Solomon is saying, embrace the season you're in right now. Yeah. Right? Because that is your portion. You are certain that you are living in this season right now. You don't know if you'll live in the next season. No one's going to bring you back to say, look what the next season would have been. That's what he's saying at the end. Who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? No one. So, you have this season. You have right now. Live this for his glory. Now is the time of salvation. Right? Now is the time to make a decision to stop following this futile pursuit of thinking that if I can manipulate my seasons in some magical way, and you know, for 6,000 years people have tried to do that and have failed every time and have gone full circle, so your, the odds are not in your favor. But you can try and go that route. Or you could say, I have tried and I end up full circle every time. I am going to branch out to see that there is God, there is eternity. He loves me. He wants to have fellowship with me. My existence makes sense only if He is part of it. So don't worry about the next season. Now is the time of salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for Your Word that is a, a true treasure, a gift that truly never stops giving, how unsearchable it is, Lord, and thank you that we have the privilege of being able to dig into it, learn from it, and 
Lord, thank you for touching our hearts. Lord, please continue to work in our hearts. Please continue to, to change us. And um, Lord, for that person here this morning who has not given their life to you, who is still trying to find purpose in the pursuits that this world offers, Lord, please come and grab a heart, hold of that heart and, and shake it, Lord. Sometimes we need to be shaken. And Lord, help us to see that all these things we are pursuing are ultimately futile, but in you and with you, they have so much value and an eternal purpose. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can take a break.